Joshua chapter 22. I'm going to read here the first nine verses of this chapter. God's word says, At that time Joshua summoned the Reubenites and the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant to the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised to them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. Only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away and they went to their tents. Now to the one half of the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half, Joshua had given a possession beside their brothers in the land west of the Jordan. And when Joshua sent them away to their homes and blessed them, he said to them, go back to your tents with much wealth and with very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brothers. So the people of Reuben and the people of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh returned home, parting from the people of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the land of Gilead, their own land, of which they had possessed themselves by command of Yahweh through Moses. Well, in military terms, an honorable discharge is the best way a soldier can leave the battlefield. Having fulfilled all his duties and exhibited great courage in battle, he's given honor as he returns home, a a good discharge. This is essentially what happens here in Joshua 22, as Joshua sends the eastern tribes of half of Manasseh, the tribe of Reuben and the tribe of Gad, to their home east of the Jordan, after they had fought in the conquest of Canaan, faithfully with the other tribes. So Joshua here commends them as having fought faithfully beside their brothers. As we talk about faithfulness, this may seem like an uncommon thing today, like some near-extinct animal that hides somewhere up in some remote mountain and is rarely seen. Is there anyone faithful? You're lucky if you catch a glimpse of this. Maybe you come from a family where there was a lot of unfaithfulness, a lot of brokenness. Relationships never seemed to last very long. It seems every other day in our culture we learn of some high-profile figure whose sins are revealed and who falls from grace. We see how unfaithful people can be, even who we previously thought we're good, we're faithful, we're obedient. And we might ask, is there anyone faithful? And maybe you look within as well, and you see the fickleness of your own heart, and you ask, how can I be a faithful person? Is this even possible that we would be faithful? In the Christian life, can we be faithful to God? Well, here we see some faithful tribes, tribes that were faithful 
to the Lord. And so we learn much about faithfulness from this passage. Joshua here in verse 1 summons the two and a half tribes. And what he says to them reveals to us that yes, obedience and faithfulness is indeed possible. And he shows us how to be faithful. I have three points here. Point one is faithfulness commended. Then two is faithfulness displayed. And then three, faithfulness commanded. So first of all, we see the faithfulness of these tribes commended in verse 2. It says, he gathered them and he said to them, you have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you and have obeyed my voice in all that I have commanded you. Their faithfulness was shown in a comprehensive obedience to the commands of God through his servants, Moses and Joshua. The key word here is kept. Shamar, they kept all the commandments of Moses and Joshua. That word means to, to guard, to keep, to watch over sometimes, to observe even. It, it is sometimes used of a shepherd keeping his sheep, watching over them, feeding them, keeping them together, protecting them against predators. It could be used of keeping an ox restrained in his pen so that he doesn't go out and cause wreckage. The main idea here is is keeping devotion to the Lord. This faithfulness, this faithful discharge of some duty. They kept God's commandments through Moses and Joshua. They ensured obedience to them. And it was comprehensive. Joshua recognizes they, they kept all, all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded them. Everything that they had been given to do, they faithfully discharged. Maybe you, you kids in the church this morning, you, you sometimes have a chore list. And there's several items on that list. And by the end of that day, if you've checked every box, you've been faithful to discharge your duty. That's what the eastern tribes were like. They did everything they were commanded to do. I was visiting one of you this past week and asked for prayer requests. And one of you said, pray that I would be obedient. Well, isn't that the desire of every Christian? That we would be obedient to God. That we would be faithful to discharge all of the duties that he gives to us. This was how the eastern tribes responded to God and his commands. And they were commended for it. Joshua recognized this about them. He encouraged them. He applauded them for their faithfulness. That's the way we want to live as well, isn't it? That, that our Lord Jesus Christ, even our greater Joshua, the true servant of the Lord, would say to us, you have done well, good and faithful servant. You have kept my word. At the end of every ministry God gives us to do, and especially at the end of our lives, we want to be able to say with Paul, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Christ even says this kind of thing in the book of Revelation to the church in Philadelphia. He says in Revelation 3, 8, you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
We want to be so honored, don't we? Like if you're a good high school student and at, at the end you're on the honor roll. We want to hear, well done. We want to be commended for our, our obedience. That as unworthy servants, we've only done what the Lord has commanded us to do. But how do we live in such a way to be faithful like these tribes? Or, or how did they display faithfulness? And what characteristics do we see here that we might strive for as well? Well, we see faithfulness displayed here in verses 3 and 4. Joshua says to them, You have not forsaken your brothers these many days down to this day, but have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you on the other side of the Jordan. We see a few things here about their, their faithfulness. And before we get into that, we have to note that the eastern tribes had a very special, a very particular command given to them by God that was different than the other tribes. It's mentioned back in Numbers 32 that after they had conquered those peoples who were east of the Jordan, that those particular tribes asked for that land because it was suitable to them. But Moses said, basically, are you going to stay here while the rest of the tribes go beyond the Jordan and, and go to war? Are you going to forsake your brothers? But they said, no, we'll, we'll go and fight with those tribes. And so Moses, on that condition, gave them that land but he said that they have to go over to fight with the rest of the tribes. We also saw this at the very beginning of Joshua, in Joshua chapter 1, verses 12 to 18. Joshua had commanded them the same thing, verse 12, and to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your livestock shall remain in that land that Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. But all the men of valor among you shall pass over arms before your brothers and shall help them until the Lord gives rest to your brothers as he has to you. And they also take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to the land of your possession and shall possess it, the land that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan toward the sunrise, and they pledged obedience to that word back there in Joshua chapter 1. And now we see they've, they've faithfully fulfilled that task. They went to help their brothers. They, they took part in the conquest. And so, so we see their faithfulness here, and we see that faithfulness was tested in community. We see that first here in verse 3. He says, you have not forsaken your brothers. Just as God was faithful to Joshua and he said, I will never leave you or forsake you, these brothers were faithful. And so they stood by their brothers' sides. They fought with them throughout the whole time of the conquest. Isn't this the, often the real testing ground of faithfulness? Will you stick with your friends? Will you stick with your family? Will you stick with your spiritual family, your, your church family, or will you abandon them when things get tough? 
Proverbs talks about a true friend and it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. 1717, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. 1824, faithfulness is tested in our relationships with others. Even as they get hard, even as our, our friends go through tough situations in life and we stand by them, even as they're hard for us to deal with and we stand by them. Faithfulness is tested in community. I think of Samwise Gamgee in the Lord of the Rings. Not the coolest character, not the greatest warrior, but what did he have going for him? He was faithful to his brother to the very end. He was stubbornly faithful. He never left Frodo even unto the end of that task. The Christian life is hard and it's a fight to fight sin, to advance the gospel. This is our war. We can't forsake our brothers and sisters as we go through it. Paul, by the end of his life, saw many people forsake him. In 2 Timothy 4, the list goes on. Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Cretans has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. And he was speaking to Timothy there. He had a couple faithful friends he could rely on, but ultimately it was the Lord Jesus Christ who stood by him and strengthened him. But our faithfulness is shown in community. That as God is faithful to us, we would be faithful to our brothers and sisters. That we would put down roots, that we would commit ourselves and not forsake our brothers even when things get tough. Which is something our generation has a tough time with. Commitment, right? Commitment in marriage. Commitment to your kids. Commitment to a church family. But that's where faithfulness shines bright, is in community. We also see here that faithfulness is shown in longevity. It says here that they have not forsaken their brothers these many days down to this day. There were many days of battle that they endured with their brothers. The conquest probably took about seven years to accomplish. Chapter eleven eighteen 18 said, Joshua made war a long time with those kings. Faithfulness is shown in, in longevity. When you meet an elderly couple and they say they've been married for 50, 60 years, isn't that amazing? It shows such great faithfulness. They've, they've been with each other for so long. And, and faithfulness is shown also in enduring to the very end. It's not shown in the spur of the moment, but in the long haul. Not in weeks and months so much as years and decades. It's shown when you go to the very end, like again Samwise went with Frodo all the way to Mount Doom. And he saw that ring cast into the fire. In the whole history of the church, we've also seen faithful ministers, faithful pastors, even like a guy like John MacArthur, been in his church for 53 years. That proves a faithfulness when we are faithful over the long 
Paul. We also see here faithfulness takes carefulness. As he continues, he says, But you have been careful to keep the charge of the Lord your God. And literally here, the same verb is used twice, shamar, and it's literally you have kept to keep. They, They had watched over their keeping of God's commands. That is, they were careful, they were vigilant, they were diligent to perform the charge that God had given to them. Some time ago, I saw a a quote floating around the internet, which said this, Desperate times call for faithful men and not for careful men. The careful men come later and write the biographies of the faithful men, lauding them for their courage. Now, if you mean careful in the sense of full of anxiety or so worried about things that you never actually go out and obey God courageously, then that quote makes sense. But in biblical terms, God always pairs faithfulness and carefulness together. We're to be careful in this sense, to be thoughtful and thorough, to be vigilant and diligent, watching over, as Paul says, our lives and our doctrine. Or as Proverbs 4.23 puts it, keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of of life. We have to be careful, knowing there are dangers without and within, and to be careful to avoid them. Like the soldier who knows where the minefields are and he steps around them, like the shepherd who knows the dangers of nighttime, so he sleeps outside with his flock. Similarly, we must carefully keep our hearts, our thoughts, our desires, our words, our actions in check as we seek to fight the good fight. We must be careful about false doctrines and false gospels. We must have our sword sharpened, knowing the word of God, so as to spot danger without and within. Charles Wesley wrote a hymn called, A Charge to Keep I Have. This could have been the Eastern Tribe's theme song. It goes like this. A charge to keep I have, a God to glorify, a never dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. To serve the present age, my calling to fulfill. Oh, may it all my powers engage to do my master's will. Arm me with watchful care as in thy sight to live. And now thy servant, Lord, prepare a strict account to give. Help me to watch and pray and still on thee rely. Oh, let me not my trust betray, but press to realms on high. So faithfulness takes carefulness. Lastly, faithfulness also brings great reward. Verse 4 says, and now the Lord your God has given rest to your brothers as he promised them. Therefore, turn and go to your tents in the land where your possession lies. So after being faithful, they rightly entered into their possession. And as verses 7 to 9 show, they went to their home with great spoil, much wealth, very much livestock, with silver, gold, bronze, and iron, and with much clothing. They were to divide the spoil of their enemies with their brothers. They had won that spoil and won that possession by fighting faithfully in the conquest. If they didn't fight, they wouldn't have had a share in it. This is a basic life principle, right? Faithful fighting leads to victory. 
Faithful plowing, sowing, and watering results in a harvest. And if we think we, we will be fruitful, even in spiritual things, without some work, without some labor, we're sadly mistaken. Paul told Timothy, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. 2 Timothy 2.6 So these tribes did their work and they received their due payment. We ought to strive to do work for the Lord that we might enter into our reward. But at this point, we should note and ask rather, have we been faithful? Have we as a people been perfectly faithful? Even as the eastern tribes are described, keeping all that God had commanded them. Have, have we kept all of God's commandments, never once deviating to the, to the right or to the left? If we're honest with ourselves and even with the Bible's diagnosis of our condition as human beings, we understand that we are actually born alienated and hostile to God by nature, walking not in his commandments, but in the opposite direction. We're all sons of disobedience. We're all children of wrath by nature, as Ephesians 2 says. None of us have been completely faithful. Have you kept all the Ten Commandments? Have you never lied or stolen or lusted or or worshipped other things, or been dishonoring to your parents? Have you been covetous? Do you deserve a portion with God in heaven? That heavenly reward? None of us can say we deserve that portion. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We cannot obey God enough to receive eternal life. We were speaking of this this morning, that Adam sinned, and all of us have also sinned, and, and through Adam, death and, and sin and judgment and condemnation spread to all humanity. We all stand condemned, speechless, before the judge of all the earth. We need another righteousness. We need another's obedience from outside of ourselves. That's Jesus Christ. He came into this world to save sinners. And he came under the law, and he lived a perfect righteous life so that he could impute righteousness to us that we do not have. He was faithful in life and in death on our behalf to forgive us our sins, to welcome us into glory, even to divide the spoil of his reward with us, as Isaiah 53, 10 to 12 says. Yet, friends, as those who have received the free gift of righteousness, God calls us then to a faithful life. We know that we fail, we fall. Even James could say we all stumble in many ways. But it's our endeavor to be trained in godliness, to be faithful, to have a tested faithfulness in, in community, in longevity, obeying God to the very end and entering into our reward, that crown of righteousness that God has laid up for all those who have loved his appearing. 
And here in this text, we see something very interesting. That though the eastern tribes were commended for their faithfulness already, and their faithfulness was described before us, Joshua now again commands them to faithfulness. That's the third point here. Faithfulness commanded. We see this in verse 5. He says, only be very careful to observe the commandments and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cling to him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Those who are commended still need to be commanded. We can't rest on yesterday's obedience. Joshua knew the fickleness of the human heart, and he knew the temptations of this world. So he knew that he needed to remind these tribes, even though they had been faithful in the past, to keep obeying God's commandments. Jesus actually does the same thing with the church in Philadelphia in Revelation 3, verses 8 to 13. He commends them first. He says, I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. He commends their faithfulness. But then he commands them to continued obedience. He says, hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Faithfulness is like manna, like the people of Israel. They had to gather it every day. And you, you can't eat yesterday's manna today. We have to be exhorted to continual faithfulness, to renew our commitment to God every day. And even as we gather here at the church, it's our time to remember what God has done for us, that that we're given a free gift of salvation through Christ Jesus, but that Jesus our Lord also commands us to be faithful to Him. We see various aspects of this faithfulness in this verse. We'll break them down one by one. First of all here, Be very careful to observe. He says, only be very careful to observe the commandment and the law that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. Be very careful, he says. They had been careful to obey God. Now they needed to be very careful, he says. He emphasizes that. This reminds us of statements in the New Testament where Paul tells us that we need to take heed lest we fall. He speaks even to the mature in Galatians 6. And he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Maybe you're mature in some way. You see a brother sinning in this particular way. You're You're spiritual, you're mature, you're able to help them in that temptation, but you better watch yourself too, because your heart could also be drawn away to the same very sin. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12, after relaying how many in Israel were unfaithful, even after seeing God's works in the exodus in the wilderness, he says, therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands Take heed lest he fall. It's a dangerous place to be when we think we're all good and we're not depending on God anymore. We need to take heed. 
We know that we could fall at any time. In Luke chapter 21, verses 34 to 36, Jesus gives the people commands to steadfastness. It says there, 21, 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. We're to watch ourselves. As Jesus says elsewhere, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. We're to stay awake in constant prayer depending on God. See, we tend to be lazy. We tend to drift into the cares of the world, into this loose kind of life. But we need a vital relationship with God, listening to His Word, being in self-searching prayer to stay awake and attentive to the temptations that come our way and that even are from our own hearts. It's the way to have the, the finger on the pulse of our life. He says here, uh, Joshua says to the people to observe the commandment and the law. Observe here does not mean simply to look at. Like you might go to an observatory, you look at the stars. That's not what he means. It's not simply to look at the commandments of God, but rather to obey them, to perform them, to carry them out. As Jesus said, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We're not simply to listen to the word or look at the word on the page, but live out the word in the world. Joshua mentions here the commandment and the law that that Moses commanded. And we know as Christians, we do not obey the law of Moses in order to be justified or saved or saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, nor do we observe the ceremonial law or the civil law given to Israel. Christ has brought an end to the law in those senses, but we do, as those who love God, we observe the moral or natural law, which is also revealed in the Old Testament. What is eternal, what is enduring there, we receive And we do, and we do not receive the law as from the hands of Moses on a burning mountain, threatening judgment and condemnation and death if we don't obey, but we we receive the law from the hands of our gracious Savior, whose hands were pierced for us to free us from the judgment of the law, but we still have a law to obey. We're not to be antinomians against the law of God. We still have commandments to learn and observe. Paul would even say in 1 Corinthians, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but keeping the commandments of God. And now we have God's Spirit dwelling within us, giving us power to say no to the flesh, fighting against the flesh, helping us to obey God's word, not as a way of salvation, but out of gratitude to the God who has saved us. 
we are to be very careful to observe these commandments. Secondly, here we see we're to love the Lord our God. Love is at the center of God's law. It is that first and greatest commandment to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. She is even mentioned there in Deuteronomy 6. And then Jesus picked it up again. We're to love God. We're to love neighbor. We're to love our enemies, love one another. As God has loved us through his son, Jesus Christ. We are to love God. That is to have an affection for him and an admiration of him that leads us to action on his behalf. Because he is love and he has first loved us. First John says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. We love because he first loved us. And there in 1 John 5, which I had Doug read for us, it says, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Men, when, when you were first in love with your, your wife, how easy was it to do something for her? That love could make you climb a mountain and walk a thousand miles for her. And I hope as your love has deepened for your wife, well, you could, you could climb two mountains and walk 2,000 miles. This love co compels us to do things on behalf of the one we love. It's the same with our love for God. This is the fundamental principle that drives us along. Our love for the God who has so loved God us because he is the Lord our God over and over again in the law of Moses you you get this phrase I am the Lord your God I am Yahweh your God I am Yahweh your God I redeemed you out of slavery in Egypt I am Yahweh your God God is ours as we spoke of last week even he's our inheritance he's our choice portion we love to have God as our God, and He has us as His people. We belong to Him. He's the one who has redeemed us so that we are not our own, but we were bought with a price. Therefore, we love Him and we glorify Him. He's our God. Love the Lord your God. Walk in all His ways. The third statement here. Our life is made up of the little steps that we take, isn't it? One step at a time. You go far enough, one step at a time, you're going in a certain direction, you'll end up somewhere. That's a metaphor for life. Life is made up of the little decisions, the little thoughts, the little actions, the little words, everything that we do. And it gets us to a certain place at the end of life. We're to follow God's direction. We're to walk in His ways if we want to end up more like Christ. We need to walk the same way that Jesus walked. It says this in 1 John 
Whoever says that he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And to speak of God's ways, it's the ways that God acts, his characteristics, his attributes even, his virtues, the way that he behaves toward us in the world. Moses prayed, show me your ways. And then God showed him by declaring his name that he's a a gracious, merciful, patient, loving, faithful, just, and forgiving God. We're to put on all those virtues of God himself then, God's character that we see fully revealed in Jesus Christ. We're to put off vices, the old self with its sexual immorality, impurity, lying, anger, bitterness, slander, foolishness, and to put on the new self with its humility and meekness and patience and peace and love which binds everything together in perfect harmony. All of God's ways. Isn't it our delight to learn all of Christ's ways? To look at him? To see the way that he lived? To see the way that he walked? And then to follow him? That's what a disciple is. It's a learner and a follower. We sit at Jesus' feet. We see him in all his glory. And we want to be changed into his likeness. So we imitate him. We follow after him. Maybe you've noticed, parents, when you put your kids in front of a certain TV show, we've noticed this, and the, the kids in the TV show are disobedient to their parents, it's likely that your child is going to exhibit more disobedience. They're going to imitate what is put before them. In the same way, we are shaped according to what we put before us. So we're to put Jesus Christ in front of us. And all, all good models before us, as Paul said, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. We look to the apostles, we look to fellow Christians we know who show Christ's likeness. And so we imitate that, we walk in all God's ways. We are also to keep God's commandments, as he says here, to keep his commandments. Again, the word keep is repeated Notice the word commandments. These are not suggestions of God, but commands of God. Just as God could could command the very light into existence, He commands us to walk in the light and we're to follow. And He has every right to command us as our sovereign King and Creator, Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He has the right to tell us what to do, where to do it, when to do it, how to do it. And so we strive to keep his commandments. The next thing here is to cling to him. Notice this, to cling. It's a word that means to stick to or to cleave like Velcro. We're to cling to God. This is the same word used when a husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, Genesis 2.24. The same word in the beginning of the book of Ruth, where Ruth clung to Naomi. The other sister-in-law was willing to just give her a hug and go, but Ruth clung, and she said to Naomi, do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. 
Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. That is the kind of close connection, the kind of dependence, the kind of loyalty we're to have towards God, to cling to Him, to have His people as our people, to always walk with Him, to be with Him. Even to death do us part. We know that even death cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Paul uses this same kind of metaphor in Colossians 2.19. In that context, he's speaking to the Colossians who have been somewhat hoodwinked by other false teachings. These false teachers were telling them that they needed all these different things for spiritual growth. They had the secrets of sanctification. They told them, well, you've got to obey all these Old Testament ceremonial laws. You've got to go back to the festivals and the, the Sabbaths and obey all of these things. Or, or really, you've got to try some asceticism. You've got to be severe to your body. You've got to go on a long fast and, and deny yourselves of certain foods and, and don't touch these things. Don't handle those things. Only these things. They thought they had the secret of sanctification. But Paul says, you know the one thing that these people do not have? The one true secret to spiritual sanctification, to stopping the indulgence of the flesh? Clinging to Jesus. Holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God, holding fast to Christ, clinging to our God, is how we live a faithful and fruitful life. It's a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. John 15, 5, Jesus puts it this way, I am the vine, you are the branches, whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That is the way to be faithful to God, to cling to Jesus Christ like your life depends on it, because it does. We're to hold fast to Him. We're also to serve Him with our whole heart and soul. This is the last thing Joshua notes to these eastern tribes. He says, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Faithfulness entails service. All over this city, you might find memorials and plaques to people on parks or buildings that were dedicated to them. What's the common denominator with those people? They served their community. In like manner, we're to serve God, to be commended as faithful servants. Even in the New Testament, we're called slaves of Jesus Christ. He is our master. We're in his household. We're to serve him. As Moses was called faithful in all God's household, as a servant, even Jesus' brother Jude called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. What does a servant do? 
Will they follow the commands of their master? They do his will. They do it quickly, joyfully, attentively, just like even the heavenly servants, the angels. They discharge God's duties faithfully and quickly. And we pray also, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're called to serve our God as our loving master. And we are called to serve here with our whole heart and soul, all your heart and all your soul. The heart is the inner self, the seat of feelings and emotions, thoughts and desires. The soul is roughly equivalent, the the spiritual inner being, the transmitter of feelings and perceptions. This means that all of our thoughts, all of our feelings and desires, all of our love, all of our affection must bow before God. We must assemble our whole inner life to serve God like troops before a commander. We need to have our whole self tuned up to play his praises. All our joy, all our love, all of our energy, all of our thought for one, for Jesus Christ, because we were made for him and we were saved for him. Sometimes in our circles, we're tempted to emphasize more about simply conforming our thoughts to a proper view of God. Well, thoughts are important. That, that knowledge is important. How do you serve a God you do not know? But, but there's also this element of the inner affections, the emotions even, that are to be enraptured by God's glory, that our hearts would be warmed by His love because the heart is the engine of the life. We need the oil and spark of holy love driving us along. So friends, here at the end of this passage, Coram Deo, I commend you for your faithfulness to the Lord. You've served Him well. You've not forsaken your brothers. Many of you have stuck with this church for many years. This is commendable. But as Joshua did to the eastern tribes, I would also encourage you all the more to be very careful now, even more than ever, to obey God to the very end, to arraign every part of your being, to love God, to cling to Him, to serve Him, so that in the end, as Jesus says, your crown would not be lost, that we would watch our lives closely, keep our hearts with all vigilance. Why? Because Christ is worthy. We've been saved for this purpose, to be faithful to our Master, who called us out of darkness, even into his very own kingdom. And after a few short years, you also, like the eastern tribes, you'll cross over the Jordan, you'll go to your heavenly home, and enter into the reward of eternal life that Christ Jesus so graciously shares with you. But be faithful. For those of you who do not yet know the Lord, friends, know that he is a loving and good God. He died for sinners like you and me. Even in our unfaithfulness, He remains faithful. Don't try to work your way to heaven. Christ finished that work to get you there, but He calls you to turn from your sinful ways and believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life. And He will forgive you all your sins, all your unfaithfulness, but also give you joy in faithfully following 
Jesus Christ. Christ calls today, follow me. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow after me. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this message, Lord, and it's, it's a convicting one, Lord. It's a reminder of the faithfulness that we need to display towards you. Lord, we pray that you would give us the power to obey your commands. Command what you will and give what you command. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen.